we've been brainwashed to think that we have to eat that animal. We have to eat that fat. We've been told that this so-called soul food was ours and it wasn't. And the worst thing about normal and tradition, and I put those two words in quotes when I say that, is that it doesn't make it right. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the PBN Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Lockie. On this week's episode, we have the incredible John Lewis. John is a vegan athlete, an influencer, and an entrepreneur, widely known as Badass Vegan. In addition to building his plant-based protein company, Vegan Smart, he's also gained an impressive following on social media. John often demonstrates that you can still be considerably cool, masculine, and have athletic prowess whilst leading a vegan lifestyle. John Lewis went vegan in 2006 after being raised in Little Rock Arc and St. Louis, where he experienced race and class imbalance. As a well-renowned fitness expert, John Lewis has spent over two decades in health and fitness. In recent years, John has dedicated his time to co-directing his first feature-length documentary, Hungry for Justice, which focuses on food and social justice. John, both the protagonist and the narrator, tells the story of his roots as an adopted child from a crack-addicted birth mother growing up as an overweight kid in the violence of Ferguson, Missouri, to become a prominent health and wellness advocate promoting compassion. Hungry for Justice is also a joint venture with Keegan Coon, the maker and of award-winning film What the Health and Cowspiracy. John is an incredible man and I absolutely love this episode and I know you will too. As always, don't forget to comment, like, and share. And if you're on iTunes, please leave us a review. It really helps get the message out there. Let's get to the episode. Thanks so much for joining us on the show, John. It's a real pleasure. Oh, man, I appreciate you having me. So before we uh, get started, I always like to ask our guests uh, this first question. How did you discover the vegan lifestyle or how did it discover you? I would actually say I think it discovered me, to be honest. Um, I always thought I wanted to do it. I always, you know had that lie in my head where I was like, you know what? I love animals, but then I'd have a steak that night. You know, like it's just, you know, you're, you're disassociated or whatever. And uh, my mother was diagnosed with colon cancer. And when that happened, I remember talking to the doctors and asking like, how did this happen? What's going on? And the doctor at the time t- told me that it was too much animal protein, too much fried fatty foods. And for me, I was like, wow, this is this is crazy. So this is, this is not hereditary. And he was like, no, this is a lifestyle choice. And that just like threw me back. Um, I didn't go immediately. Cause I, you know, I was like, yeah, he, I, I think he's crazy. So I started doing more and more research and the more research I did, I just, you know, and, and this is not even like vegan websites I was checking out, you know, just checking out like world health organization, you know, sites like that. I just started to read up more about it. And I was seeing that like this animal protein was just associated with not just colon cancer, but just so many other diseases. And then that's just when I kind of was like, you know what? That's it. Now, I was vegetarian for about two years before that. That was an immediate like, okay, that's it. I'm done right here. And what year was that? How old were you then? Oh, man. Uh, I'm I'm dating myself here. Uh, I'll be 43 in March. So it's been 14 years now. 43, so, man, you look good for 43. What's your, I was going to say, what's your secret? But we know that already. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, and I also tell people, too, another major secret, which I don't even think it's a secret, is I don't stress. I just literally don't stress. Like, people are like, how do you not stress? I'm like, well, I just don't stress. You know, you have a choice. Like, when the, when the, when the opportunity is presented to you or the situation presented to you, you can either stress it or you can find a solution. And a lot of times I've just found that finding a solution is much better. Now, I'm not saying I never get angry. I'm not saying I never get upset. It's just that window of time has decreased over years. Like the time that I'm mad is so small now. It's like, ah, that pissed me off. Okay, now what am I going to do about it? And it used to be, all right, if I'm pissed today, it's going to last me a month to get over it. Mm. What's changed for you? How did you uh, adopt uh, or foster that kind of life state? It's funny. I just made a meme about that today. If you notice, I make a lot of memes. But I, just I made do. A meme. <laughs> I love your memes. <laughs> I just made a meme today, and it literally said, it, it, it literally says, and I'm going to read it right now. Um, it says, when people ask me, how am I always so happy, carefree, and full of gratitude? I tell them, I've already done the hateful, angry, and spiteful way of life, and that shit was painful. And it's like, it's, it's, it's actually painful to be mad all day and angry all day. Like that, it consumes you. 
I was like, I'd just rather be happy because that doesn't consume me. and It doesn't piss me off. Like, it just feels so much better. And this is something you practice on a daily basis. It doesn't sort of just come to you, right? Of course. Yeah, yeah people think mm. you just, people think that you're happy by your DNA. It's like, no, no, no. You have to practice that every day. Like, you're going to be tested. Happy people are tested just like angry people. It's just we decide, you know what? I'm not going to let that get to me. You know what? I'm not going to let that happen to me. Um, because you, you realize that, that you got 24 hours in a day. If you spend 20 of those hours pissed, you got four hours left and that's usually sleep or, you know, whatever's going on. So it's like, why not, why not choose the happier route? And like I said, I'm not saying there's not situations where I don't get mad. I don't get upset. I don't get pissed, but I just don't let them linger. We all have a limited time on this earth. And it's like, why spend that? pissed and i know as vegans sometimes we get mad at everything that's out there like you know they harmed this animal they did this uh social injustice they this troll came on my page and put bacon you know like why would i sit there and let them have that moment and steal my joy you know i'd rather i'd rather live a life of happiness what's up everybody it's your boy badass vegan as you know i'm not a rapper not but a rapper. i thought i'd drop you a little healthy hip-hop for your soul Hopefully after you get done with this, you'll be a little vegan smart. You ready? Let's go. Our mental and emotional well-being is hardwired into our wellness and into our bodies. And this is intertwined with what we eat. And, and you know, this is why like living a plant-based and a vegan life is so beneficial to us because it completely shifts who we are, it shifts our attitudes, and it shifts our very biochemistry. I definitely feel since I've been plant-based vegan, I've um, my whole kind of attitude to life has, has improved a lot. I I'm more uh, calmer. I'm I'm more I'm less quick to anger. I'm not saying I don't get angry, like you said, but I'm also very much around the around the philosophy that, you know, I think the Buddha said if we hold on to anger, it's like holding on to a hot coal, and the only person that gets burned is you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You the know? person so, the person that came through or the situation that came through that that its goal was to piss you off. They don't linger around. They move on to the next thing to piss that off. They don't. You're still angry, and they're like, "All right, next thing, I gotta go piss that off." I, I learned a quote a long time ago that said, uh, "Energy cannot be created or destroyed. It can only be moved from one entity to the next." And that's just it. People, when they drop negative energy off to you, it's up to you to pick it up or not. They're they're not creating it. They're just trying to give it to you. And if you ever notice, like, just think about online. Like, for instance, I think because we we all live a life of being online. If you notice, if a troll comes to your page and they make a negative comment to you and you don't react, they get more pissed. Or if you even if you try to be positive with them, they get more pissed. But if you go negative with them, they get excited. They get they get energy from that. And that's exactly what it is. They That negative energy, they're like, oh, if I could just dump this negative energy off on somebody, I'll feel so much better. And that's what they're doing. But if you don't allow them to do that, now they got to move on to the next person or situation and they're trying to dump that negative energy off but i i just refuse to accept it from people hey if you notice i even turn my comments off of my page and it's been, been about five months now and i get i get messages all the time now like that's just so uh that's weak to turn off your comments and this and that i'm like well you still message me so you know, like, <laughs> yeah, and then you don't have to deal with the hate, uh, you know. And actually, really, how how much value do the comments of of social media bring, other than creating conflict? Okay, so today we're gonna change the game. You might change up your lane or remain the same. You might think I'm a lame or just plain the same. But here's food for thought to sustain your brain. No, it's not your fault. There's education out there that nobody taught from the time you were born. They got you ready for GM or pork as a kid when they introduced you to a sport. Huh. Before we sort of continue on to mental well-being and lifestyle, um, I just want to kind of go back to your childhood and, and talk about the food culture of your childhood. Growing up in the Amer- as an Amer- as an American man, like talk us through the kinds of food and the the food culture that surrounded you as a child. I was raised. I was born in Little Rock, Arkansas, which is you know considered the South of America, and then I was uh, raised in St. Louis, Missouri, which was called the Midwest. Both cultures are similar but different. Both were involved a lot of soul food, a lot of fried fatty foods, like I mentioned earlier. Most most interestingly, I was actually obese as a kid. Uh, I I, I found myself at 315 pounds. I don't know how many kilos that is, but 
I found myself at 315 pounds, which was not healthy by any means. And I always say it was it was so uncomfortable and so painful, actually. But you don't realize that you're in That's pain. That's 100 142 kilograms. Yeah. At what age? At 15. Uh, no, no, I'm sorry. That was around 13. Around 13 mm-hmm. years old. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. And very, it's very painful. And like I say, you don't realize it was painful until you start to feel mm. better. Because people mm-hmm. don't realize pain can be addictive. Uh, and yeah. you, you live in the pain for so long. And there's pain with growth, whether positive or negative. But we're so comfortable with a certain pain that we're scared to try the other pain, the the pain of getting better. We're like, you know what? I'm used to this pain. I'm comfortable with this pain. I can deal with this pain and I'll just live in this pain. But we don't realize that if we go through the other pain on the other side is is happiness and healthy, you know, healthy living. But we're scared to go out of that because we've lived with this other pain for so long. And and luckily for me, I just kind of stepped out of that. And I started to lose the weight and get better. And I wasn't vegan yet, but I just started to change my lifestyle and got more active. For the listeners who obviously haven't seen you in real life, you're a very, very tall man, aren't you? How tall are you? <laughs> uh, I'm six six foot six inches. So yeah. yeah. So as a young man being tall and also carrying a lot of weight, that must have been um, not just for your body, but also like mentally, it must have been very hard for you. Oh, yes, yes, yes. And I, and I wasn't as tall as I am now, but definitely it still was a factor. Um, you know, I had knee problems. I've had surgery on both knees, to be honest, uh, surgery on both knees. Uh, I've had surgery on both feet, um, you know, because just so much weight and playing basketball and pounding up and down the court uh, for so long. You don't think about the long term effects of it. But uh, and I will say that, you know, being vegan now, getting rid of a lot of that, uh, the inflamed muscles and inflamed tendons and just walking around with so much acid in my body, I'm able to still work out like I did, you know, in my teens and twenties. And I'm still, you know, able to do that because of, you know, getting rid of all that, you know, that acid and and being more alkaline within my, my lifestyle. Look, I know we've had some great years together and man, when I think of you, I just think of nothing but bliss and joy. But I think it's time to take a break. And I'm not saying this is goodbye forever, because, I mean, hopefully, you know, down the line, we can reconnect and, and, and make this magic again. But for right now, baked goods and cakes and sweet things, it's just not working. And I gotta let you go. So, like I said, it's not goodbye forever. I'm sure we'll see each other at somebody's birthday or some kind of anniversary or New Year's or or something like that. But it's just best that we just go our separate ways. And and how long did it take for you to sort of make that complete transformation? Because I can imagine you must feel like a totally different person to who you once were when, when you were suffering and you were struggling with your weight. If we're just talking about the weight itself, it literally happened over a summer almost. I, I just really didn't even notice that it happened. I still had those problems on the inside, though. I think that's one thing we forget about. We we see people on the internet and they look great. We're like, oh my god, he's got a six pack. He, she's got you know a great body. He's got a great body. And then we we forget about how is that engine running that machine? The engine is about to crash, but the the body, the car looks great. And that's what that was my thing. I, I had, you know, irritable bowel syndrome. I had uh, chronic fatigue. I had so many things going on with me uh, when I was still doing that. And once I, you know, transitioned all the way through, which took, you know, another 10 years, I would say, to really, really just like see the difference in what I was doing. And I was still playing basketball. I was still doing so many things when I switched over that it just I could just feel the difference. And when you started making these changes and shifting shifting towards a more plant-based diet, um, how did your sort of friends and peers and family respond to these changes? Because obviously food culture is a is a big thing in African-American community in the US. Um, your your food and your culture and, and lifestyle is so deeply intertwined. Yes, that's true. Uh, one of the funny things is that they all thought I was crazy, but then they still think <laughs> I'm crazy. Uh, I've, I've kind of gotten used to it. Um, but it's funny. They think I'm crazy, but they all ask for advice now. 
which is funny. Um, a, a good example is about three years ago, I was in, I was at my family reunion in Little Rock, Arkansas. I had this cousin who was looking at my plate and she was like, what is that? And I was like, you mean the asparagus? And she's like, yeah. And I, and I had to think to myself, like, before I went into this, you know, kind of lifestyle, I didn't, I never even had a mango until I was vegan, you know, like, or an avocado, or it was so many things that I just lived in this bubble. I thought that veganism was this white bougie thing. And then I started to really think about it. It's like, no, veganism is just a different name for a lifestyle that has happened since the beginning of time. It's just, we've just, it's been, uh, we, I mean, we could talk about it. It's been whitewashed. So it's been so whitewashed that you forget that you don't think people in Africa were just eating plants, you know, before the colonization of the world. Like, no, like, think about it. Like, so I had to come back to that. And I tell, I say it all the time. I was like, yeah, my, my family thinks I'm crazy, but they're all on medication. At my age, at my age, I've noticed that I am the one person that has not taken any medication of anybody that reached this age in my family. Yeah, absolutely. There's for another quote I saw recently was said, if you don't make time for your wellness and your health, you need to make time to spend on your illness. And because, the money. You know, if we don't, yeah, and the money. If we don't invest in our in our health and our wellness and secure that that you know that positive healthy future, you know, it really does catch up on us. They complain. They say vegetables and fruit are too expensive. I don't want to spend money on food, but you know, you can spend it now or spend it later. Yeah, and and and, you, and there's another catch side to that too is that you also got to look at what we're spending the money on when it comes to food. The problem is is that plants themselves, fruits and vegetables, yes, they're not the cheapest, but the problem is is that we're comparing vegan food to fruits and vegetables. Vegan food is totally different. Vegan food is the burgers and the sausages and the pizzas and all these different things that have been processed. And I'm not saying processed in a bad way because almost everything is processed. By the time it gets to your store, that banana has been processed. Like everything is got it went through a process to get there. But what we forget is that anytime you involve somebody else's hand in making something for you, you pay a cost. Your car, we can make our own cars. But how long will it take us and how much effort and how good will that car be, too, when we make it? You know what I'm saying? But you're paying for somebody else making that car for you, just like that food. You're paying for somebody making that food and putting it in that package for you, for you to just get home and heat it up. So that's what we have to we have to break that whole image of veganism is expensive. It's like, no, no, no. The process vegan food is is expensive. If you go to fruits and vegetables and rice and beans and legumes and nuts and seeds, yeah, now you're now you're breaking it down because you can buy it in bulk, it can last you a lot longer, things like that. Then you start cutting down that cost. You can feed a family way better on fruits and vegetables than you can on steaks and and burgers and stuff like that. Man, they put anything together cuz they know that you'll eat anything they tell you. Fast food fries, chicken finger licking, good for you to eat should you question the meat. Better believe it, they got meat if you leave it. Out for a year, bacteria won't even eat it. Neither with the flies, we done with the lies and we just got to speak truth to your lies. Fast food everywhere destroying people they don't the food industry in the US is uh, a bit of a monster, isn't it? Um, often has been described as a bit of a parasite that kind of feeds off low-income families because you know these foods are made ma- mass-produced and because they're so cheap, they uh, they're very they're very affordable for for people who are struggling financially. In uh, 2018, 37 and a half million people were living with food security problems in the United States. So that's people who actually don't know where their next meal is coming from, which is uh, incredible. Uh, there's a is inc- wonderful documentary called A Place at the Table, which talks about how uh, this is a major problem and how a lot of families who are living on things like food stamps and and uh, food banks, they, they can get a lot more calories and a lot more food sources by just eating junk food because the fruits and vegetables are not affordable in certain parts of the country. How do you feel about sort of living in a country where there is this sort of, well, inequality, really? It just seems almost criminal. Yeah. And, and that's, it's, it's interesting you brought it up because uh, that's, that's what the film is a lot about. 
that I'm doing now. And it's about how this industry is just basically setting us up for failure. It's interesting to, and when I break it down to people this way, it kind of makes more sense. I said, you know, the, the government messed up on a lot of things, but one thing that they got right is when they called this one part of the government, the FDA, because food is a drug. And the FDA here in America is the Food and Drug Administration. It's the most addictive drug that you'll ever put in your body. Once you look at that that way, we're addicts. And the only way to ever recover from being an addict is to admit that you have the problem. And you have to admit that you've been you've been drugged in, in a certain sense. And that's what it is. And, and just like drugs, and I, I hate and I'm not saying <laughs> I'm not promoting uh, drugs on <laughs> this podcast at all. I don't want people to think that. But if you think about a drug dealer, let's say you got a drug dealer, i.e. a large corporation making bullshit food. So you have somebody that can give you a 100 percent fruit or vegetable or nuts or grain or whatever it is, they can give that to you, but it would cost more and it's not as addictive. Now, like a drug dealer, if I take a brick of cocaine or a fruit or vegetable and I break it down and I add extra chemicals to it, not only can I stretch it out, but I can make it cheaper and I can make it more addictive. And now you think that you're getting a better deal because it's cheaper and you actually feel full, but only for a short time. So just like cocaine, the crack, now you've broken it down to this crack and it's more addictive. It's a harder substance. You feel like you got a greater high, but you got a bigger crash out of it too. And that's exactly what they're doing here in the industry. They're, they're literally just giving us crack and they're saying, you know what? No, 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 it's cheaper. Try this out. But it's in a fancy package. And they say they put a, a stamp on it that says new and improved or or they'll say made with real fruit juice. And they're not lying. That's the problem. They're actually not lying because it's made with real fruit juice. But guess what? That real fruit juice is the 36th ingredient on the list of everything mm-hmm. that's going on. So before you know, the high living fructose here, corn I, syrup. <laughs> right, right, right. Now, or, or after the high fructose corn syrup, actually. <laughs> but and, I, and I, that's what I keep telling people is that. Yes, we live in a situation where the government has messed us over, but this is where it comes down to us not waiting on them to save ourselves. We have to save ourselves. If the the beautiful thing about it is the fruits, the vegetables, the nuts, the grains, all these other foods are still available for us to buy. Their trick is, is that well, not, we're not forcing you to buy it. And they're right. They're not forcing us to buy it. We have these other options. The thing is, we have to educate ourselves and we have to educate others about it as well. And I think that's where we still have this, we have this opportunity to save ourselves and we just have to get out of our own way to do it. They they got us addicted to it, but it's up to us to break that addiction. With the food culture of African-American people, which is obviously, very, as I said, deeply entwined in the culture, how hard is it to sort of get the message across that this food that we're eating, that you're eating, could be, well, not is causing the illnesses and the diseases that have affected your people and, you know, your people of your ethnicity in that country for, well, yeah, centuries potentially? Because obviously, as we talked about earlier, sometimes or many times, actually more in the US, I would say, than the UK, but veganism is is kind of seen as a white thing, like white people do it, and middle class white people who've got a, who've got money and who have the privilege to be able to think about what they could eat, and they don't have you know they don't have to uh, think too much about it. Whereas uh, you know a lot of communities in the US, not just African American communities, um, you know lower income white families too, who are struggling. And when people come along and say, oh, you've got to eat vegan food people right. are threatened by that yeah the most powerful form of brainwashing is when you don't know it happened so we're sitting around and we're we've been brainwashed to think that we have to eat that animal we have to eat that fat we we've been told that this so-called soul food was ours and it wasn't and the worst thing about normal and tradition, and I put those two words in quotes when I say that, the worst thing about normal and tradition is that it doesn't make it right. Just because we've been doing something for so long, it doesn't make it right. And we've been living in a culture of, well, our ancestors ate 
you know, this, and that's how we made it through. It's like, yeah, that's how we made it through, but we're not there anymore. So now we have to change it up. But on the flip side, you do have to have an understanding of that. As a person of color living in this country, we have other dynamics that we have to worry about. We have to worry about that cop pulling us over and, you know, not just giving us a regular traffic stop, but probably pulling us over because we were a person of color in a certain neighborhood. And they don't believe we I've I've literally been in the situation where a cop pulled me over because I was in the wrong neighborhood. He's sitting there with his hand on his gun. And luckily, the person that I was going with was a classmate of mine and her dad worked in the government. So I'm texting her like, hey, I'm like right outside your house and the cops pulled me over and I'm nervous. And the guy's sitting there with his hand on his gun. He's like, what are you doing in this neighborhood? And now, mind you, I, I played basketball for my team as well. I'm in like a jogging suit and I'm in an old school kind of car and which still doesn't mean I should get pulled over. I'm sitting there and finally the father comes out and luckily he was home. He came out and he asked like, what's going on? And they're like, well, we had a robbery at a grocery store and the car fit this description. And I'm like, damn, I'm like, you know, in my head, I'm believing all of this. And he's like, well, he came, you know, he came to to study with my daughter. They're in the same school. When they finally leave, uh, they finally the cops finally leave and everything goes on. I'm talking to the father. He's like, yeah, well, I'm going to check on that. So we come to check. And when we check, not only was there not a robbery that day at the grocery store, they were saying there hadn't been a robbery that whole year in that area. So he was just lying. Just lying, but he could mm. just throw that out there, and he had his hand on his gun the whole time. And I'm, and people say, "Oh, you just all you have to do is just follow the rules." It's like, no, when you're nervous and you're sweating, and people are like, "Why are you so nervous?" It's like, because he's got his hand on his gun. Like, what the, what the, like, how do you expect me to react? And I'm just like a, I'm like a 21 year old kid, you know. I'm nervous, and all you hear is stories of, you know, people getting killed. They didn't do anything wrong. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that, you know, there aren't criminals out there, but at the same time, there's so many stories of people that were just in the, in what they thought was the right place, but to the cops, wrong place, wrong time. And uh, so you, you got, you got people dealing with that and they're, they got so much, so many other traumas that they're dealing with that they don't understand that if they clean up the food mentally, it helps them deal with a lot more other things that are going on in this world. But they look at the food as just another problem that's on top of everything else that's going on. But and, and when I talk to, a, you know, people of my race or just people of color in general is that we all have had that cousin, that brother, that father, that mother, somebody in our family that died way too soon from something that we know was related to food. And that's when we understand that the brainwashing and addiction is a part of our life, because I hear all the time what people say man, I want to eat better, man. I want to live better, but ah, man, that tastes so good. And ah, this, that is the addictive qualities that all these things that have been described as food has been given to us. And we, it's hard to break that addiction. It really is. It is. It's incredible. And, you know, when you look at the leading causes of death in the United States, one person dies every 37 seconds from cardiovascular disease. That's 647,000 Americans every single year. And it's it's insane. It's I mean, obviously, a lot of it is caused by lifestyle, by by the foods that people eat, heart disease, and so much of it can be treated. And that's the thing: all this life lost, all these years lost, because people are eating foods that they believe they have to eat or they need to eat, but also foods that they, as you mentioned, are highly addicted to. You know, I, I don't know if anyone who's listening has watched the film What the Health, but What the Health very cleverly draws the the link between the. Um, illness of people and the pharmaceutical industry. The government's in bed with anyone that gives them the most money. These are government programs. Consumers have no idea. We consider it normal that a town the size of the town I grew up in gets wiped out every year. If that many people were being killed by some terrorist group in the United States every year, we would find them. From a community standpoint, from all other aspects, we're in a state of emergency. They care more about cooperation than these people. They spend at least $138 million lobbying Congress. These companies really have a vested interest in making sure that the public doesn't have information about their effects. Any little thing that comes up, man, they beat it to death. They're trying to silence people into not speaking out and not showing the truth. If that's where you want to go with this, I'm sorry, I'm not the person that you should be talking to. The European 
It doesn't take a rocket scientist to make the connection that ill people, people who have illness and disease, are profitable, especially in the, in the United States where you know you don't have public health care or free public health care. Um, and you, you know, if you fall ill in the United States, if you don't have medical cover or some kind of support, what happens to you? That's the interesting thing, like you mentioned. So, what the health is? Uh, my co-director Keegan is uh, the co-director of What the Health. So, this is the fo- the film that I'm doing with him is the follow-up film to that. And we break down that that same scenario is that it's such a dynamic machine that they want to put you into. Is that yeah, you don't have universal health care. So you're a part of this system. It's like, well, we'll give you this food. You'll get sick off this food. You'll need either the surgery and or the drugs to get better from this. And they honestly aren't saying that they're going to heal you. They're just going to help you deal with the symptoms of this disease. If you notice, most of the stuff, if you hear, if you hear a drug or a pharmaceutical commercial, it's not saying it's curing you. It's saying help you to deal with the symptoms. And when you take that pill, it's got side effects. And what do you need for those side effects? You need another damn pill. So now you have to take another pill to get rid of something that, honestly, most of the time is something that if you change your lifestyle, i.e. your eating habits, you could have just eliminated the whole process. But they're all tied in together. And it's one big hand just getting rich off the back end. Just because slavery ended doesn't mean that you can't be a slave to something mentally and emotionally and spiritually. You know, the the body might be free for what we call free, but there's still got ties and holes on you. But like I said, we, we have to break that that mold and see how to get away from that matrix because it's there. It is. And some people think it's conspiracy theory. Some people think it's fake news. No, it's literally right there. And it's in front of your face. It's to the point where you'll see a dairy, the dairy industry, the government will literally say, and there's a, I can't see exactly where it's at, where they say you need to limit your consumption of dairy because it is dangerous to your health. And then you find out that they funded the dairy industry for their got milk ads. And it's like, wait, how does that work? Like, you just told me I should stop, but then you gave them money to make ads for it. You know, it's 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 a big it's a big game that they're playing with people's lives. As the tobacco industry uh, said, doubt is our product. In the famous released memo um, that was that was uh, leaked by a, an insider, the doubt that they cast in the minds of people. People love to hear good things about their bad habits, as Dr. Esselstyn said. I think it was Dr. Esselstyn. Um, you know, if we can, if people continue to have their bad habits or their addictions reinforced by the media by advertising, people will continue to do it. And this is why you know the vegan community gets so much uh, aggression towards it because we are shaking that tree we are shaking the status quo yeah and you see it all the time especially especially on social media i see all the time where that's because i i i do believe that i cannot just associate with vegans if i want to make a change in the world i think some people think that oh you should only associate with vegans i'm like well if you want people to change but you never talk to them or you never show them how to change, then why would they change? It's like, you know, you can't you can't be a jerk to everybody that you want to improve. So what I look at, I have friends that they'll post pictures of like this horrible, I mean, just horrible food. Like, I don't care who you are, you know the food's horrible. And they'll brag about that plate. And you'll see people comment under that plate like, oh, man, that looks so good, this and that. And you're like, yeah, but that is that's what's killing us right there. And they'll admit to it. They're like, oh man, this we all gotta die sometime. And I'm like, that's funny because the 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 younger you are, the more cocky you are with life. The older you get, the more you're like, oh shoot, I I need to change, man. Or or you have that scare, or you have a friend that died. You know, like I said, we all got that friend, cousin, whatever that died too young. And what happens is we know what happens, and we saw it happen, but we don't change it then we end up being that cousin, uncle, mother, father, and people that have kids, that's the one that really baffled me. Cause it's like, okay, you know, you need to change. And now it's not even about you. It's about your kids and people get mad sometimes, but I, I really think it's true. I was like, if you know something is bad for your kid and you still give it to them, that's child abuse. If you literally know it's bad and you give it to them. Now, if you don't know any better, and the thing is you can accidentally abuse a child too. You don't have to be on purpose all the time. 
I got two kids, so I'm not just a I'm not just a person saying, you know, a lot of times it's like, well, you don't have kids, you don't understand. I'm like, no, no, no. I love my kids so much that I would never put them in that situation. You know, and and that's what we have to get to. Like, no, I don't care what the norm is, I don't care what tradition is. If I know that something is going to harm them if I keep them in this traditional way, I'm breaking tradition. I'm breaking that curse. I, I can't sit there and let that happen to my kids. Going back to what we talked about earlier regarding kind of, you know, the race, racism and race, racial kind of uh, issues in the United States, you know, obviously uh, it is something that has plagued the country and the entire planet really for, for centuries. You and I have talked about this before and we both have very strong feelings about, about this, what is a, you know, a planet-wide problem, the way people treat each other based on the color of their skin or their ethnicity or, you know, and we could bring in all the other isms, racism, sexism, homophobia, transphobia. At the root of all of it is, is uh, you know, is a very similar, there's a, there's a root to all of these these uh, prejudices, as you could say. As as a an, an American man, like, how has it been for you kind of growing up in a culture where it, it is such a huge problem? Growing up in it is, is it was tough, uh, but I will say that I didn't know anything else. I honestly didn't know. I, I had to reach out and see more of it. I I was very fortunate to be raised in a diverse school. My neighborhood was mostly black, but my school was diverse. I've been called the N-word by white people growing up. I've been so many different things. Um, you know, hatred. I mean, like, see, my mom, my mom picked cotton as a kid. You know, like, just now she was paid, but it was like pennies on the dollar. She wasn't a slave at that point. But I've seen it. I've seen all the different aspects of how racism comes back to one thing. Racism, hatred, all these things come back to one thing, and it's fear. It's the fear of the other culture. And a lot of that fear comes from not knowing. There's a lot of things that happened back in the day. And I tell people that we're not a part of that. I'm like, we're, we weren't the people that started racism. We weren't the people that were part of the culture that, we you know, whoever decided that color, the difference of color in the skin was a bad thing. Whoever decided that, that wasn't us. But it's up to us whether we keep putting that, that again, tradition on. It's up to us to break that cycle. I had a weird comment on one of my posts. And I hate to use social media, but we, like I said, we live in that age. And I had a guy that said, you know, I had a guy that literally said on my post, and, and it made me like kind of step back, like, wow, he really thinks this. He was like, I, I hate when people say that white people did this to Africans. He was like, you know, if we wouldn't have done it first, I'm sure Africans would have done it to us. And I was like, damn, like, bro, you really think that? Like, that's not how it works, man. Like, I think we were kind of cool over in Africa. We were chilling. Like, we didn't want to leave Africa. We we think about it. Africa is the most resourceful land in all of the whole world. Like, that's it. Like, you, all the resources, all the, the elements, the, the the fruits, the vegetables, everything, you can get that in Africa. It all originated there. So it's like, we weren't trying to get out of there. But to hear that mind frame, like, man, I'm sure there's other people that think that he just had the balls to actually say it, you know? And I'm like, that's not what it's about. It's getting rid of that hatred and that fear. Once you get rid of the hatred and the fear, then you get to see, like, oh, this person... Yeah, they may be different to me, but we are similar at the same point. And and here in this country, one of the biggest fears right now is people don't understand that equality doesn't mean that we want to do back equal what was done to us. We're saying equality is putting us on the same plane and the same standard. The problem is people live in fear of retaliation. That's what's wrong here in America right now is that you have white people that live in fear of retaliation because they know what happened. Nobody can deny it. If somebody denies that that happened, they, they're, they're crazy and we're not even going to talk to them at that point because there's no, there's no bringing them back. If somebody's like, oh, that never happened. Now, if somebody's like, well, that happened, and in the back of their head, they're like, man, if they ever did that to us, what we did to them or what my ancestors did to them, like I said, they probably didn't have a hand in it then that's where their fear is. Their fear lies in that. That's what we have to get out of. I have a, a really good friend uh, in London uh, who's uh, of um, uh, Caribbean descent, and he we, we often have discussions around identity. Um, and he said, you know, he often says to me, you are not white and I am not black. He said, your TV is black, your fridge is white. 
when we use these words to describe each other, you know, we really oversimplify who we are as people and we paint these oversimplistic reductionist pictures of each other. You know, not all white people are racist, not all black people are thugs. You know, this is the kind of image that the media and television and Hollywood paints uh, pictures of people, oversimplified pictures of people. How do we break out of this behavior of human beings of just looking at the outside and whether it's gender, sexuality, race, people sort of look at each other and make those assumptions and just paint a picture. How do, how do people break out of that attitude? I think one of the biggest things, and, and I can be totally wrong, I've, I've been wrong once or twice in my life, so this might be wrong, but I think one of the biggest things is that people that are not racist, that are Caucasian, they have to speak up to the other Caucasian. If you if you're if you know that, you know, there's something going on to people of color, because I I've been getting out of that mode of saying black and white, too. Like, I, I, I'm not a fan of it either. Like, I've learned more and more and more. Like, I, I I embrace my race. I embrace who I am. But your friend is right. We're not black. That's not that's not a definition of who we are. That's something that they put on a piece of paper that you check off now. And that's not who we are, you know. But back to the actual question is that the people of the opposing force have to stand up. If I'm a straight person and I see something's wrong that's happening to to gay people, I have to say something to the straight people that are doing wrong. Like, that's not right. What happens is if the person that's being belittled, put down, held back when they say it, the opposition doesn't care when they say it. What happens is the people, it's just like good cop. If there's good cops in the world, they have to actually say something about the bad cops that are fucking up and killing people. What happens is when they don't say anything, now everybody's like, well, all cops are bad then because you never spoke up for us. You know, if nobody ever speaks up for them, they that's what happens. And then what happens is if a person knows, we're not saying that everybody's going to change and be a good person. But if a person knows there's consequences behind their actions, they change a lot of their actions. Somebody that wants to break into a house, if they know they're not going to get caught, they're like, you know what? I'm going to break in that house. But if they're like, man, they got a security system. They got this. They got a dog. They got that. I'm not going in there. I don't even want to deal with that. And then and I'm going to get arrested and I'm going to jail. You know what? I'm not dealing with it. So the thing is to actually get them to the point of realizing that no, no, no. When you do this, we are going to speak up. We are going to say something. So I, whatever part that happens, it ha- it has to happen from within that organization or within that group of people. And that's why, you know, we, we talk offline, you know, people don't know that, but, you know, me, you and I, we talk a lot like a Caucasian person has to speak up about racial inequality. You know, like I said, it, it all that, I mean, what do you think vegans are doing? Vegans are saying the same thing. They're like, you know what? We shouldn't be killing these, you know, these animals. Like they can't speak for themselves because you don't care. If an animal could speak and say, you know what? I don't like it when you kill us. Humans wouldn't give a damn because <laughs> they're they're coming from the the opposed portion of the group, you know. So that that's what we have to do. We we have to get the right people to speak up. The people that are being oppressed, they have been speaking up, if you noticed, and that's when it gets shut down. On the matter of the uh, vegan community and kind of, you know, because racism and sexism, homophobia, transphobia exists across all the gamuts of human society. Whenever you gather large groups of people together, you're going to get these ugly qualities of human beings, racism, sexism, etc. Obviously, it manifests within the vegan community because you obviously have gatherings of people uh, who don't necessarily know each other. Have you experienced sort of racism within the community itself at ever ever personally, or have you witnessed it yourself? Oh, definitely, definitely. I people think just because they go vegan that they're automatically right about everything, and that's not the case. Yeah. <laughs> people yeah. think, well, I I can't be racist. I'm vegan. I'm like, no, you literally just said that. They don't think that their actions can be bad because they're vegan. You know, they they you got homophobia, you have racism, you have sexism you have all that within that community and it's still there and that's the thing i i i don't want anybody that's that's listening this and that's on the fence of going vegan i don't want you to think that all your problems are about to go away now (laughs) because you're vegan because there's still it's still a a big world we're 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 right around nine billion now 
you know what I'm saying, people. So there's not going to be agreements in everything. I tell people all the time, just because you're vegan doesn't mean you're my best friend. Yeah, the shadows that exist within humanity even exist within all the vegan community as well. Exactly. It's still there. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You know, and, and that's that's what we have to get out of. We got to get out of our head. But you can still do your best. Like there's a quote that says there's never a wrong time to do the right thing. And I think that's what happens now. It's like people feel inconvenienced by the right thing nowadays. You know, like, hey, don't talk about improving somebody else's life. Oh, man, I was just watching my, you know, my smut TV and I was more concerned about, you know, that on TV than I was worried about you talking about, you know, this guy that got killed while he was trying to help somebody else. They don't care about that. And that's what we have to get. We have to get back into the love part of our, our culture. We, we've gotten to a point where if you you have to have an edge to you. And I'm not saying I, lost, I, I still have my edge where I'm on guard all the time, but I do have this this compassionate side that has to come back out. You know, and I, I believe that compassion is still a badass thing. And that's where badass vegan came from. Really was like, I want to show people like you can care about the world. You can do great things and still be badass. That doesn't mean that you, you know, you lost your, your machismo, whatever you want to call it. You're still, you can still be a tough, a tough mother (laughs) and, and still care though. You know, like I, I, for some reason, people think if you care about other things, if you get sensitive, you get sentimental, whatever the case is, you're weak. And now you just, you're not on the same level as some people. And that's not the case at all. It's, it's, to be honest, it takes a lot of heart to care about other things than it does to just be angry and walk around and hold on to that all day. Why do you think men are so reluctant to make the shift? Because some 86%, 87% of vegans are women. Men seem very reluctant to adopt this lifestyle for fear of uh, being seen as uh, weak. Why do you think men are so afraid of it? The biggest, biggest, biggest concern is caring what other people think. They, they care about, oh, well, if all the other guys find out I'm vegan, man, they, you know, I lose cool points or stuff like that. Because at the end of the day, people know for a fact, you're not going to lose muscle. You're not going to die. Uh, I've, I've heard, I've heard everything. Your penis shrinking. I've literally heard that from people. <laughs> I'm like, no, that's, that's not the case. You, 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 you can't do this. You can't do that. Like you can't have kids. I'm like, I got two kids since I've been vegan. Like, what are you talking about? You know, like all these things that are just these myths that have been put out there. It's about caring what other people think. And if you go with what feels good on the inside and what feels good and what resonates with your with your good side, then it's okay. Because you don't care what other people think. Because you know, if you're a badass before you went vegan, you're going to be a badass after you go vegan. That's not, it's not, you, you don't lose it all of a sudden, you know. <laughs> it's not like you were like, you know what, I'm a tough son of a gun. And then you go vegan, you're like, you know what? It's all about flowers, daisies, and hugging trees. It, it, it doesn't change like that. That's not how it works. Now, don't get me wrong. I still hug a couple of trees every now and then if I see the right tree. But that's, you, you still, you know, you still hold on to that. You know, you can still be a man, like whatever, whatever that definition is today. So I, I, I just think it's caring about what the others think. Once we get out of that, you're fine. And, and hey, let's be honest. If it, if it is 87% women, the odds are on your favor if you go vegan. Like, just think about that. <laughs> <laughs> You're in a win-win so here, man. One of the other things that we talked about earlier this week was actually the PETA um, video, PETA's People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals. PETA are quite well known for their uh, controversial content. They are often, you know, instigating <laughs> conversation on a variety of topics. Now, they recently released a video that was uh, aimed at the Super Bowl. And the video depicts animals uh, from an aerial shot kneeling down uh, in a in a kind of a, a it's a, it's a it's an active protest a political protest. Now the opinions on this have been quite split. Some people think it's beautiful and that it that they understand the message, and other people have said that it, it's disrespectful and it and it compares the political protest um, when it shouldn't. Um, obviously, you have a, have a thought and opinion on it, so I'd love to hear what you think. So for me, it was a beautiful form of artistry, but it was a poor timing on their part because the movement of the kneeling at the football game was started by Colin Kaepernick, and it was to show the social injustice that was happening to people of color here in America. Now, the thing is, is that that was great that they made this 
video or this cartoon uh, in relation to that. But the problem was, is that they not once spoke up for Kaepernick when he was going through the heat of this uh, movement, when he was getting death threats, he was in hiding, you know, he had all these things going on. They never once stepped up in defense of him or in support of him, but they sure did ask him to do like ads, you know, like, you know, ads and oh, posters. So he's vegan. Yeah, he's vegan. So, you know, that's where the controversy for me and for a lot of other people stood up. It's like, okay, yeah, don't use it just for your convenience when you didn't say anything about the original movement. And even in the commercial, they didn't even say anything about the original movement. At the end of the commercial, it just said hashtag end speciesism. Like that had, like, don't get me wrong. We do need to speak up for animals. We do need to say something, but don't use this movement and put the original movement to the back burner. And then on the flip side, you want more people of color to become vegan. Like, what did you just show them right there? You showed them that it's basically fuck your movement. Our movement is more important. And your movement is a part of our movement, but we're not going to talk about yours. And that's what happened. And like, I love, I love, I love some people at PETA. I, I do. And I, and I say this all the time. I, I said this on a post. I said, as vegans, we do mess up from time to time. And this was one of those times. And that was one of those times it just, it, they, it just wasn't the right time or place. Do you, do you feel like the unnecessary hijacking of that proactive protest, in a way, kind of dismisses what is going on uh, in the United States because of that protest? Definitely. Definitely. I, that that whole campaign and whoever agreed to do that and whoever said that that was a good idea, they honestly, they don't care. That's the problem. That's what I said about veganism. Like for me, now there are some vegans that are that aren't like this, but for me, veganism is bigger than animal rights. It's also human rights. It's also about the earth. It's also about our economy. It's about all these things that are involved. It's It's bigger than just animal rights. And if you do care about animals, humans are animals. So you have to care about what the plight that they're fighting as well. If you want more people to be vegan, you have to care about them as well. If you want them to transfer over to this lifestyle, show them that you care about them too. It's hard for somebody that, like we talked about earlier in the in the podcast, you got these people that are going through so much on a daily basis, whether it be racism, sexism, all these different things, you know, police brutality. They're scared to even walk out their house because they don't know what's going to happen to them. And then you're like, yeah, but you should be vegan. If not, you're, you know, you're going to hell. And that's the mentality of these people. But you show no compassion to them at all. And with this movement that Kaepernick was doing, they literally just brushed it under the rug, but wanted to use it as a stepping stone to push their message across. Like I said, they not once said anything in defense about social justice, about what he was talking about. In fact, and honestly, they really never say anything about social justice. But that's not their movement. You know, I understand that. Everybody's got different lanes. I got that. But don't use a social justice platform to get your message across when you didn't even defend, talk about, or even support that movement in the beginning. Absolutely. And the lesson there is that when we speak on matters we're not really that experienced in, we should be very cautious about how we communicate. Um, And whether that's racism or whether that's sexism or whether that's gender, it's very important that we speak from the heart, really. And I think sometimes these charities, they get caught up in the the concept and the idea, because obviously this would have been this would have been created by an agency who, you know, I don't want to make prejudgments, but was probably a lot of white people, a lot of Caucasian people uh, who may not really. I guarantee. Ha- <laughs> I guarantee. You know, yeah, I mean, this is, yeah, this is. I mean, you know, I gr- I'm I've, I grew up in Africa and I lived in a world where I I lived on the flip side of living in the Western world. So you know, I was the only white boy in the class. Whereas in 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 you know in my I left I came to England when I was nineteen. And my whole sort of identity was flipped the other way. So I was then a majority and not a minority. So I've lived as a minority in a culture, and now I live as a majority. And wherever I've worked, I've, I've, I'm very aware of minority now. And I always have been since I came to England when I was 19. And, you know, I often 
would point this out. I, I was working at an advertising agency once and they did a holiday brochure and every single person in this brochure was white. And I had a, I had a meeting with a, and this is, you know, in a British company. And I had a meeting with one of the marketing managers and I said, um, just wondered why everyone in this brochure happens to be white. And he, he said to me, well, that's just our demographic. <laughs> Like, oh, so you don't think anybody of color buys anything from you? Like that's just crazy. Uh-huh, exactly. And but this is it. This is all about sort of you know the the bias of of the people who who have the money, who pull the strings. They they have bias, and a lot of the time they just don't care because they believe what they're doing is right. Yeah, and and it's and it's funny that you say that because going along with that, I can guarantee you this advertisement that came out. I'm pretty sure that there was nobody of color on that board that was that was a part of that. Because I'm pretty sure they were like, you you sure we want to do this? Because this doesn't sound right. You know, and, and, and to go along with what you were doing in the advertising is that that person that you talked to when you said, hey, there's nobody of color in this, they also understand that there are people out there that if they would have saw people of color on that ad, they probably would have been like, mm, I don't like that. And I'm probably not going to support this, which is sad. But that's how people think, too. So there's a lot of dynamics that we got to get over to, to move this 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 humanity forward. Absolutely. We, you know, we're actually a very young species. We've only been around 200,000 years, and that's in our primordial form. In our modern, as modern humans, we've really been around for a blink of an eye, yeah. and we have a lot of growing to do. And I really hope that humanity uh, doesn't totally destroy the planet before we have an opportunity to blossom into the incredible beings that I know that we can be. Yeah, yeah. But I, I think we can uh, do it, though. I think we can do it. Well, I, th- I think we can. I think we can. As long as we keep spreading a message of hope, love, and compassion, which I do believe is innate in all human beings, I really believe that we can uh, become, you know, creators and not destroyers. Because, you know, a lot of people talk about humans as being a cancer or being a parasite. You know, humans have that tendency and have that quality, but we also have the qualities of compassion and kindness and, you know, and uh, friendship and creativity, which I think are all our our best qualities. And I think if we can foster those qualities in our children and we can teach our children to to be collaborative and not competitive, we can teach them about compassion and uh, and love, you know, and, and that there is strength and vulnerability. I really believe that there is a bright future for us. Same here, man. I totally yeah. agree with that. Other than being a badass vegan, you also have uh, a vegan brand of your own. Do you want to tell us a bit about your brand, how you got it started, um, and and what what kind of things that you uh, sell and promote? Uh, well, I started Badass Vegan actually to it was the idea in my head was to start a vegan Facebook uh, to have this place where everybody could come and they don't have to worry about you know steak and shrimp and all this stuff in their feed or you know, just kind of the negativity that that's associated with just, you know, the outside world. Badass Vegan just took its own turn and somehow I became Badass Vegan. It never was about me, to be honest. Um, uh, And so somebody was like, oh man, you know, like, oh, so you're the Badass Vegan. I'm like, no, no, you know, like it's, it's, and that's why when I sell shirts and and I, when I do uh, paraphernalia, whatever it is, maybe, I'm like, no, 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 you're the badass vegan. That's why like one of my shirts says, I'm the badass vegan. You know, like I want everybody to feel like they're the badass vegan. You're um, the guru. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my, my mentor, Jim Morris, I don't know if you remember him back in the day. Um, mm-hmm. Jim Morris, he, I never forget one day, because I, I just brought it back to, I've been doing the badass vegan of the month now, the feature that I do on my website. I asked him if he wanted to do it. He was like, oh my God, I can't wait to be a badass vegan. I'm like, dude, you're like the original badass vegan. I'm like... You're the OG, you know, and that, that felt good to me, though, for him to be so excited to be one. But I'm like, no, 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 you are the OG. You, you're the badass vegan. So that's where it started. And then it sprouted out into um, I have a protein shake line right now that's called Vegan Smart, uh, which here in the United States, we have it in a couple of stores, which is CVS, Vitamin Shop, uh, Publix, Gelson's, Mothers. We have it on Amazon Prime as well. Uh, I think overseas you can get it through um iherb.com and there's a couple other websites that do it that's been going well and then throughout my life i've always had a passion for film and i've always edited like smaller films for myself and then that's when it kind of sparked into what i'm doing now with the hungry for justice documentary um, i'm co-directing co-writing and co-producing 
my first documentary, a uh, feature length documentary with Keegan of what the health. And um, I'm very excited about that. So it really, I didn't start, I didn't start being vegan to start a company. I just was noticing that so many people had interest in my lifestyle. I was like, well, maybe I can help out more people if I devote more time to it. And that's where it came from. I had a nine to five. I had a regular job, but it was very consuming to try to do all that and still try to, you know, live this vegan brand kind of on the side. And I was like, you know what? I need to go all in and I can help more people if I devote more time to it. And that's where it all sparked from. Amazing. Tell us a bit a bit more about the film. So um, who will we see in the film? What are some of the exciting names that you've got? <laughs> the premise of the film is a focus on food justice and social justice through the lens of hip hop and, and the current culture. And uh, so far we have Stick from Dead Prez, uh, Neo, Maya, uh, Damon Dash. We have uh, Gray, Lauren Vanderpool. We have uh, Tory Washington, Doms Thompson. Oh man, so so many, so many. We are waiting on the word from some people as well. Joaquin, if you're listening. Um, <laughs> but I, I know he's busy though. I do know he's busy. Um, he actually uh, executive produced um, What the Health. So we, we know we can get to We just know he's very, very busy. So in order to get to him, we understand. And, and that's with anybody because we understand that they are giving their time to us in order to do this. It's not like, you know, it's a documentary. So I wish we could say, oh, man, everybody's getting paid this great amount of money, but it's a documentary. So we understand they're, devote, they're, do, they're donating their time to us. John Sally. John Sally's actually one of my mentors as well. So we have him in there. Soleil, Professor Griff from to it's just so many within the industry that we that we've interviewed. Uh, ITEF, which you might have heard of him. He is up in Denver. Um, it's just so many people, so many great people. And if I if I got anybody and you hear this, I'm so sorry. We've got over 120 interviews. So, of, of course, like right now in my head, I'm like trying to come up with everybody. This it's almost impossible. Yeah, we're still interviewing for another three months. So, again, Joaquin, if you're out there, <laughs> what is the main message that you're trying to get across in this film? Or what is the big question? Because often with documentaries, it's about asking a big question. Usually, you don't really know the answer. So, what is the, what are the sort of questions that you're seeking in the, in your documentary? Why are people of color so sick in America? That's that's the big question. Why? Why is it so different for us here than it is in other countries? The things that happen to us, and that, and when I say people of color, that that, that goes across the board. Um, you know, e- even if somebody's Caucasian, they watch this, they can still see similar qualities of what's going on. And the reason why we picked hip hop is because hip hop is such an influential culture that it pretty much runs the dynamic of how anything is ran. Like, and when people say that, I was like, well, okay, if you don't understand how big hip hop is it, across the world, just imagine a bunch of I'm going to use this term this time, a bunch of white guys on ice skates and Jay-Z playing in the background because that's ice hockey right now. Like you, you, and you go to the, the number one, like play on Broadway is hip hop infused. And if people follow everything they eat, everything they drink, everything they wear, how they travel, what cars they drive, why not really focus on the, a lot of these people that we interviewed in this film are a hundred percent plant-based. So let's let's look at that. If you knew that and you followed everything else they did, wow. You know, um, another person we're looking to interview is Jaden Smith. Um, quite a few people that we're looking to. It's just like I said, it's just scheduling at this point too, trying to get to everybody. We actually want people to be a part of the film. Um, we want people to feel like this is their film as well. So with our crowdfunding, we're gonna be, you know, offering like packages like t-shirts and you know, autographed uh posters and you know credits in the film actually you know stuff like that um we want we really want it to be a film of the community for the community so that should be launching somewhere around the end of february and and we 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 can't wait to uh unveil this amazing movie here in 2020 amazing we'll pop the link in the description please do click it and support before I let you go, um, I always like to ask this question to my guests. If you were stuck on a desert island and it was just you and a pig, <laughs> obviously you're not going to eat the pig because you're vegan. Uh, the pig, pig's going to be there for at least 25 years uh, because, you know, when humans are not slaughtering them, pigs do live quite a long time. If I gave you one vegan dish, one book and one music album, what would you take with you? Oh, man. Wow. Wow. This is going to be nice. 
So one vegan dish, one book, and one album. Is that correct? Yeah, and that's you've got this in your in your in your backpack and on the island, and that's all you got. The one book would be A New Earth by Eckhart Tolle. The one album would be Wow, this is that's a tough I'm gonna come back to that. The one dish would definitely be Black Magic Lasagna by Tara Ponzoni at Pura Vida. I could just eat that all day. So that 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 would be that would be my one dish. And my one album, oh man. You know what? I'm gonna change it up. It would be a playlist that I made of nothing but motivational speeches uh laid on top of like inspirational music. And I would just listen to that. Because if I'm on a if I'm on an island stuck, <laughs> I'm gonna need some inspiration. <laughs> so I think that's what I'm gonna <laughs> that's what I'm gonna use right there. Yeah. So that would do it. And it and then me and Porky, we would just we would just kick it the whole time. <laughs> Planning your escape. <laughs> exactly. All right. Or I'm so tired of humans sometimes. I might just stay for a while. We might just kind of chill out. <laughs> oh, sounds, sounds idyllic. Mr. John Lewis, thank you so much for joining us on the PBN podcast. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you for having me, bro. Thanks for joining us, everyone. We'll be back next time with more veganism, health, fashion, technology, music, and everything in between.